When people are in danger, the most responsible thing we could ever do is warn them. If you're traveling with a team of people to a third world country and you see someone on your team about to drink tap water, you warn them. No, 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 no. And I want to just thank Joe Hishma for giving me great warning prior to me going. And on behalf of my stomach and the rest of the team, we thank you. If we see a neighbor's toddler heading toward the street, we do not hesitate to warn, to say stop, to act. Why? We would never want to see someone get injured or worse. It's the most responsible thing we could do when we see danger ahead. I found myself in a dangerous place. I was recruiting for Dallas Seminary. This was uh, several years ago. And I found myself in West Palm Beach, Florida. And I had some time to kill. So I thought I would drive along the famous A1A right along the coastline. So there I was rolling in my 5.0 with a rag top down so my hair could flow. It was a Dodge Intrepid, not a 5.0. But I had the windows down, taking in the sea and the sights. And of course, I'm from the Midwest and I didn't realize the A1A actually came to an end and you had to go back into the city. And so I'm making all these random turns and I'm in an unfamiliar city and I come to a stoplight. And at that stoplight, there are a group of young men who are using all kinds of creative language and gestures to let me know how unwelcome I was. So I chose to simply ignore. But that escalated the situation because they went from the sidewalk to the street. And to this day, I think I hold the land speed record for Dodge Intrepid in southern Florida. Some good friends of mine, Bernie and Anna, live there, and I was retelling them the story. And Anna looked at me, and she goes, David, you should never have been there. Thank you. Thank you. I find warnings are most effective before you find yourself in a dangerous place. Well, I'm going to go from zero to serious. Now, because in our passage tonight, we have a warning, a very real danger that is facing us as well as the first original audience of this letter. This letter was written in the first century by a scarred and seasoned, tested Apostle Paul. Writing from a dungeon, soon to be beheaded for his faith. And God prompts him to write a letter to a timid young pastor in the city of Ephesus. His name's Timothy. 
We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'd like to ask that you would go with me to that passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we join Paul in the dungeon, to hear him write very stern and serious words to a young man who was to lead in a culture where it was very popular to defend your lifestyle by attaching your choices to a God, a God of your choice. The Roman gods, the Greek gods, they had gods for everything. So Timothy was called to lead in a very pagan culture. The odd thing is, is that Paul's warning has nothing to do with the culture, but everything to do with danger in the church. Chuck Swindoll has said, the church can be a dangerous place. And I agree. So as we enter in, that's the tone, which will be very clear as I read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul writes, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Aren't you glad you came to fellowship tonight? Let's go. All right. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask four questions of this passage. And I want to talk about two essential steps of response for us. So I want to draw your attention back to verse 1 of chapter 3. Verse 1 says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So the first question I want to ask is, What are the last days and are we in them? What are these days? Paul is telling Timothy that they will will happen. The last days are referred to several times in the New Testament, but one key passage is Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. 
And it's that time that it says that God has spoken in the past through the prophets, through the law, but now in the last days, he has spoken through his son, Jesus. So the last days are attached to Christ. The last days began when Christ arrived. That was the beginning of a time period known as the last days. And these last days will occur until Christ returns. These are days about him. His arrival, that included his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and his return. Those are the last days. So are we in them? And the answer is, yes, we are. So just as Timothy found himself in the last days, we find ourselves in the last days. We know that this are not, these are not future days to come that Paul is telling Timothy because when he gives an action statement, the only action statement in this passage is right now, avoid these kind of people. It's a present action. He's telling Timothy. He says, man, in the last days, there's going to be times of difficulty. Avoid people that are like this. Then it talks about these people, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but it says that they're the kind that currently creep into the houses and abuse and trick and persuade weak women. So Paul is warning Timothy about a current time, but it's a defined time. It's a time of when Christ arrived and when he will return. So then the next question is, is found also in verse 1, and that is, and there will come times of difficulty. What does times of difficulty mean? What does this mean? The word times is the word for seasons, periods. There will be periods and seasons of time during this last day's era where there will be great difficulty. But what kind of difficulty is this? Will everyone have hangnails more or like... Like what degree of difficulty are we talking about? The word here that's found is found only in one other place in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 8. There's a description of two men that are demon-possessed. And they are savagely violent men. Brutal men. The word is kalepas. It means harsh, severe, savage. The English word difficult can kind of just make it seem a little more tame, but this is, you know, this is not being pessimistic. Paul's not being pessimistic, he's being realistic. And it's not tied to natural disasters or things like that. It's tied to people, which is verse 2. For people will be, and then the list goes on. So 
we should understand that living in the last days is not a playground. It is a battleground. There is a war for the souls of men and women and children happening right now. And even when we experience a time of blessing and a time of peace, things are not peaceful. Because we have an enemy that influences and twists and contorts people. And we have people with selfish desires that use and abuse others. The great theologian Jerry Seinfeld said, people, they're the worst. And it's the biggest problem with the church. So I'm in it. And so are you. So we need to answer another question. It says in verse 2, for people. Well, who are the people in this passage? Is this talking about us? Is it talking about a specific group? Who are the people that we're supposed to avoid? That sounds very unchristian, doesn't it? Like, aren't we supposed to engage everybody and serve and love? And this says there's actually people to avoid. And so who are these people? And then there's people referred to here. We have, we have, uh, we have, uh, Women referred to. We have these uh, men with strange names, Janice and Jambres referred to. So who are these people? So I just want to take a moment and tell us, talk about these people. First of all, look in verse 2. For people will be lovers of self. Now I just want you to notice the progression. This is not some random list of vices or sins. These are connected. And there's a progression. For people will be lovers of self. And if you want to love yourself, you start loving money. I've never seen anyone frown on a jet ski. You love yourself, you start acquiring things. You want to acquire things, you're going to love money. And then once you get money, you become proud of what you have. Did you guys see my jet ski? Then once you become proud of what you've accumulated, you become arrogant. And arrogance means that you lose the awareness of people around you. You no longer consider them. You enter into an environment strictly through your grid. How is everything affecting me, my comfort? How are the coffee and cookies when you came in tonight? Was the coffee kind of tepid? Progresses from arrogance to then abuse. Because you find that, that people get in the way of your happiness. And so they don't act how you need them to act. So you control and you abuse. Because life has become about you and you deceive and you... And there's abuse. And then Paul goes into a, to explaining that once this occurs... Human systems break down. And he talks immediately about the family. They're disobedient to parents. There is a rejection of authority. There's a disregard of respect for things that are designed by God. The family. The marriage. 
doesn't stop. It goes into you become ungrateful. You forget the place where you came from. You forget that you stand on the shoulders of generations before you. You forget to say thank you. Because you don't want to say thank you. And life is a different word here might be you are entitled. Life is entitlement. Then it says unholy. Man, we're just in verse 2. You know, we put prefixes to modify words. So there's the word holy. It says unholy. Holiness are the things of God. So people begin loving themselves and there is this destructive pattern. Now, if you're anything like me, you're going, well, I'm kind of in trouble because there's times where I love me more than I love God, if I'm going to be honest. And am I, so, I can't avoid myself. So Hinkle, you've got to help me here. Who are these people? Well, there's more descriptions. Look in verse 5. It says, these people, they have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. They're lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. But in verse 5, this is very important. It says, having the appearance of godliness. You see, this group of people that Paul is warning Timothy about are people who they present themselves as religious examples. In some of the passages in 2 Timothy refers to false teachers. Paul has given warnings to the church in Ephesus about these kinds of people before. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns the elders of Ephesus. He says, fierce wolves will come up from among you to twist the hearts and the minds of people. See, the people that Paul is saying to avoid, these are religious people without Jesus. Religious, but no Jesus. Maybe you grew up in a denomination where there was a lot of standing, a lot of sitting, and a lot of recitation. In fact, if you walked into a Lutheran church or a Catholic church or an Episcopal church, even today you would walk in and they would start and you would find yourself just... But growing up, and this may not be have been your experience, but I hear it as a common one, that people go, they recite... And then there's no heart transfer, no change. They can recite the Apostles' Creed, but there is zero change. And it looks like people just playing a game. Well, the church is actually a very vulnerable group of people. We're nice people sometimes. We love, we serve, and we can easily be targets For wolves in sheep's clothing. I was thinking about what, what would describe this kind of person? How would you know you would be around such a person? Well, such a person, you would feel judged by them. Because their pursuit is to, is to put up a, a, a standard of righteousness that they have done and they have earned. 
I have been to church consecutively for 32 years. You missed last week. I know I'm making a caricature, but that's the idea. Someone who is a religious person without Jesus, they, they have a they have a shaming about them. Where you feel compared to them. You're not enough. Maybe they set expectations for you and then those expectations change and you try to meet them to keep a friendship or keep the relationship and you can never be good enough. Because they keep changing. Does that make sense? He talks about this group of women. It says in verse 6, they, they creep into households and capture weak women. The word weak is like silly. Housewives of Shawnee County. This wouldn't simply just apply to women, but in the context of Ephesus, that's what was happening. Women who were pursuing silly pursuits were being were, were just changing from one idea to the next. Whoever had the best idea, they would they would give themselves to. Easy targets. Perhaps you've heard stories of leaders in the church praying on the innocent. On the silly. Then he talks about these two men that have very difficult names, Janus and Jambres. These are the men that opposed Moses when Moses threw down his... he, He came as a prophet of God to show that he was there on a mission from God. And he threw down the staff. And the Egyptian magicians, they threw down their staves. And their staves also turned into snakes as Moses did. But his ate them, which is really cool. Paul says, these people that can come up in the church are just like these these Egyptian magicians. And he said, their folly will be plain to everybody. That's who these people are. That's who we're talking about here. So final question I want to ask is, what's the core issue? So I want to take you back to verse 2. When a thing is, when there's a list in scripture, it's often important to look at the very first thing listed and the very last. A lot of times, they parallel. So if you look at verse 2, for people will be lovers of self. And you look at verse 4, they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And there's the core issue. That's why in your notes... In a big, bold statement, it says, guard your love for God. Because, my friends, that is the core issue here. We must guard our love for God. You see, He loves us. He loves us so much that He sacrificed His one and only Son. He sent Jesus to come to begin an era of time where in the last days people could find rescue from their soul, from their sin and from their shame. This list of vices that can plague anyone. Jesus gave his life for it. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead because of God's love for us. So that we would turn to him and we would place our faith in Christ alone. 
And the response of someone who has genuine faith in Jesus Christ is to love God. And to not be swayed by people or passions or pursuits. But to love Him. And to guard that love. Which means to also guard the truth. So I want to give us two steps that come from this passage. And actually even I'm going to dip in from last week. It's okay. You can do that. The first one is right from our passage. Avoid. He says avoid these people. So I say it this way. Avoid people and passions that promote you. Avoid people and passions that promote you. Again, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. And guys, gals, this can apply to each and every one of us. Our hearts can quickly be moved away from being focused on God to things of this world and things that we want for our own personal gratification. I know that there are influences all around us. I pulled these bestsellers for you to see on the screen. We'll start with the first one. It's a classic. Self. How about this, guys? Upgrade your whole life with Matthew McConaughey. This one, your best body. The truth about sex after baby. Right? Then this one, the second most popular magazine in circulation. To craft an online identity that is based around personal achievement that is celebrated virtually. We have all these influences around us. Be careful. Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful what your passions are. Do they promote you? Are you listening to, to teachers who may, who may bear the badge of Jesus, but are talking about you finding your best life now? Be careful. We live in a more dangerous age than in the first century because now an idea becomes viral. Millions. Hear it, see it, watch it, share it, tweet it. Retweet it. Be careful, church. It's a very popular message now to accept all with no moral standard. It is becoming increasingly unpopular to take a stand on biblical ethics and biblical morality. Be careful. There are things, my friends, we must avoid. I'm not talking about boycotting. I'm talking about guarding your heart. The people and the passions that promote you. The Christian life is not just about 
staying away from something. Because this world that has self-magazine and all these kinds of things, we're actually called to engage. We're called to go. To bring the message of Christ in these last days to the hurting and the broken and the lost. We're not to build the holy huddle. We're to get in the game. But there's something we need to pursue. And I've said it this way. Pursue people and passions that advance Christ. We are wired to stand together. That's why we value small groups so much here as a church. Christian godly relationships where people can advance the mission and the kingdom of God together. Do you have people who are chasing Jesus? That you can call. That you can serve with. Who will confront you with the truth. But will be at your side. In your time of need. Do you have people? And are you pursuing passions that advance Christ? We had students stand who who served. In a very specific and difficult way. At Camp Barnabas. That's the kind of passion that advances the kingdom of God. Some of you are familiar with $20 bills and and, and others of you may be familiar with, with bills of higher value. I don't see those regularly. But when you use bills of higher nature, the teller or the attendant will do this. And what are they looking for? They're looking for the genuine thing. They're not looking for the flaws in that bill. They're looking, does this have the marks of what is genuine? Because they know it. And when they don't see it, they call it. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they know we are Christians by our Love, as the song goes. When we stand together and we pursue people and passions that advance Christ, we give a genuine picture to one another and to those around us of what Jesus' kind of love is like. That way, when someone rises up from among us, we call it and we see it. The more we avoid the things that pull us toward ourselves, the more we pursue the things that advance the name of Christ, the more aware we become of the wolves that can prey on us. We must guard our love for God. Guard your love for God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for a passage that is, eh, it's kind of difficult to read and 
But we thank you for your love that has broken the power of sin. We no longer need to be defined by anything found in those list of vices. We now are under Christ and his authority through our faith in him. So Lord Jesus, may you guard and protect your church. May we pursue each other and passions, God, in a way that would advance your kingdom. That you would send us out into a dark world that needs you and that they would see an authentic picture of love. So Father, help us guard our love for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.